Thank you for joining us for episode 57. Today we're going to talk about something I haven't talked about on this podcast. Asteroids. But not just any asteroid. If you have to rank asteroids, this probably would be the top asteroid. If not the top asteroid, probably in the top five. Um, This asteroid... Which is not bad at all, because if you look at the amount of asteroids they have out there. Uh, I'm not talking about this asteroid alone. I have a guest today. Uh, the guest is returning from episode 54, Meet the Astrologer, with Denise Hancock. How are you doing, Denise? Hi, Paul. I am great today. How are you? Great. Happy New Year. Happy turn of the julian calendar <laughs> yes yes off into 2024 yeah so you joined us today to talk about an asteroid and this asteroid happens to be chiron oh, oh okay so what do you <laughs> tell us about chiron sure um i have been using chiron um in my charts for a long time but my knowledge of Chiron was pretty limited. Um, I knew it was an asteroid, as you were saying, and that a lot of astrologers use it. Um, and I'd often heard it called the Wounded Healer and knew that it was related to some ancient Greek mythology, but I didn't know a whole lot about it. And so I took on a project, I guess about eight months ago, that I started just sort of reading all the books and articles and watching videos on Chiron. My background is academic. And so like when I went to do a research project, we always do what we call a survey of the literature. So what I really did is did a survey of the literature with Chiron to see how astrologers are using it and what the various meanings are and to determine then how I could use it in my own life and as I consult with clients. So I learned a lot of really cool things. Okay. Uh, you, and you're here to share some of that with us today? I am. Thank All right. You. Yeah. Um, Chiron was discovered November 1st of 1977 by an American astronomer whose name was Charles Kowal um, just before 10 a.m. And um, initially, Kowal thought Chiron was an asteroid. But um, a number of things changed over time and they begin to wonder what it really was. So in December of 1977, it was classified as an asteroid and given a number, um, asteroid number 2060. However, it started changing in its appearance over time. And so in the 1980s, Chiron had developed a tail. And so it was reclassified as a comet. Um, oh, really? Today, mm -hmm, Today, it's if you go to the NASA website, it's still classified as both an asteroid and a comet, but it's more correctly now called a centaur, which is a hybrid object. So it's part, they actually call it a dwarf planet or a planetoid, which is a subcategory of asteroid plus part comet. Um, and I can, I'll go into that more when we talk about the um, astrological meaning of Chiron, but I thought that was fascinating that um, it actually has multiple roles even in the sky and it has different appearances depending on where it is. Which would kind of tie into the uh, centaur being half man, half horse. It's half, exactly. half asteroid, half comet. Yeah, yeah. 
Did you have some other introductory remarks you want to make or shall oh, no, I? No, keep it, keep it rolling. I have a few slides for those who are going to watch this on video. And so I wanted to, um, to put that up for you. So what I thought I'd generally cover today is kind of the history of Chiron um, through its astronomy, as well as the mythological stories of Chiron and some other just things that were going on in history when it was discovered. And then talk about um, some key words for Chiron, what its astrological meaning is, and really how you might start to think about it in your own chart and in the charts of other people if you are working as an astrologer. All right. Um, so we already talked just a little bit about the astronomy of Chiron. Um, like I said, today it's known as a hybrid centaur as well. It's also considered to be a Kuiper belt object. Um, there are hundreds or thousands of these Kuiper belt objects, which are um, objects that are in elliptical orbit around the sun, part of our solar system. And generally they are between Jupiter and Neptune's orbits. Chiron's specific path connects, it goes just inside of Saturn's orbit and then out to Uranus, past Uranus. Is, so it's it's very elliptical, right? Like an egg. Sometimes it's closer to the sun and sometimes it's very far away. Is the Kuiper belt the same thing as the asteroid belt? Um, it is an oh. asteroid belt, but then there are other asteroids further on out, yes. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so there's oh. both. Um, oh. But yeah, I think it was called that for a long time and now... I guess Kuiper was a person's name, and I didn't bother seeing whose that was, but All right. it is called a KBO or Kuiper Belt object. Okay. What I thought was sort of cool is it's essentially a ball of dirty ice. And so when Chiron is closer to the sun, so it's within the path of Saturn, that's when it starts to melt and it develops a tail. And then as it orbits further away from the sun out towards Uranus, it sort of freezes back up and the tail goes away. Hmm. So that when it was first discovered, it was um, it was tailless. And then within 20 years, it developed a tail. Um, and now I believe it's tailless again. So uh, so the tail appears, disappears. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which if you can imagine that made it very confusing for astronomers. Like, what is this thing? Is that a 20 year process? No, it's longer than that. But well, the, the whole orbit of Chiron is about 50 years, Okay. 49 to 51 years. So it, is, it does take about 20 years to develop and then go away and then fade again. Right. Because it's okay. about 25 years on either side. Oh, OK. Oh, interesting. Chiron is almost now where it was when it was discovered in 1977. Um, it was discovered at three degrees of Taurus, and it's currently um, at like mid Aries. Here's a here's a visual in case someone's looking on video of kind of where Chiron's orbit is, and so you can see this yellow. There's a yellow circle that reflects Saturn's orbit. So sometimes Chiron is within the orbit of Saturn, and then it will move out and go beyond the orbit of Uranus. Oh. And so some of the early um, astrological meaning, people thought about Chiron as being like a connector or a bridge between Saturn and Uranus. If you think about Saturn as being the last of the traditional planets that sort of for hundreds of years, we thought was the end of our universe. And then Uranus as being this more modern, disruptive, innovative thing. It's like Chiron can bridge between those two worlds, like the old world, the new world, the restrictions versus liberation. 
I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Being someone I know that you, as well as I, uh, did you begin in modern astrology? Yeah, because that's all that existed. Um, okay. When I started reading astrology books, I think we talked about this last time as a teenager, you know, it was Linda Green Sun Signs and it was, um, you know, I'm sorry, not Linda Green, um, Linda, I'm going blank, Liz Goodman. Green's books and Linda, Linda Good- Goodman. Linda Goodman, yes, yes. Um, uh, so yeah, there was nothing else. And then, and then you have uh, now uh, bridged back over to to traditional astrology, right? I did. Now, I did a year of in-depth study of traditional astrology being mostly um, ancient methods from Islam as well as Greece and, and Rome. Do you think, because I know there is a rift between the two communities, mm-hmm. between the modern and the traditional, right? Could the bridge to that actually be Chiron? That's a tough question. I kind of think it's going to take more than one asteroid. Like, that's a bigger job than Chiron alone. Um, But it's interesting because, you know, in traditional astrology, the focus is really on the sun and moon and then the five planets that you could see with the naked eye, yeah. right? And so traditional astrology mostly ignores Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, as well as all the asteroids and the centaurs and et cetera. Um, I do think that we have like a new generation of astrologers, and I kind of hope that I'm one of them, that's working to find the best of both systems. I don't know that Chiron is that bridge exactly, but I do feel like what we're finding more and more, even among traditional astrologers, is that particularly when it comes to world events, if you ignore those outer planets and Chiron, like you're missing a lot of the story. You know, they really do offer meaning that um, is beyond Jupiter and Saturn. So I like to think that we will eventually have a fusion. You know, maybe it's going to take another 50 years. Um, but that's an interesting thought. How could how could could Chiron participate in that? And if so, how? Yeah, this is just a thought when you when you were talking about the bridge between Saturn, uh, it, it's in between Saturn and Uranus, and I know that is the uh, gap. The, that's the cutoff, mm-hmm. pretty mm-hmm. much between the two schools. It is. In fact, I thought you would like, this is a quote from Liz Green. Um, One of my favorite books that I read on Chiron actually was written by Liz Green. It came from three seminars she did, and it was just published in October. So this is a quote from Liz Green's book I'm going to read for you. And it says, Chiron is the conduit between the realm of the imagination in which the soul exists without corporeal limits, the mundus imaginalis, and the mortal body with its limits and its inevitable time-locked doom. And I thought that was a beautiful way of talking about, you know, the connection between modern astrology and traditional astrology, right? Just a quick question. What is Mundus Imaginalis? The world of imagination. Oh, okay. Liz is, well, like Liz uses some, um, she studied Latin, right? And so from Mundo or Mundus being the world, 
and imaginalis being it's kind of like the world of the spirit right the world of the world of imagination the world of the spirit um connected with our own mortal bodies you're welcome boys and girls i just said <laughs> i just saved you some google yeah <laughs> you don't have to yeah google. it's a big word <laughs> um but but that is really the heart of it right because modern astrology was much more about psychology and feeling that we had unlimited potential Whereas traditional astrology, which much more focused on, you know, you're going to have a baby next year and you're going to die in 20 years because wild dogs attack you. You know, that was, you know, it was more about how do you handle this mundane life? Well, and now that you you just said that, I was I was actually thinking about traditional trying to bridge the gap to modern. But now after you just said that, trying to bridge modern to traditional could also go through Chiron because, hey, tr- hey, modern, everything is not hunky-dory. There's going to be some pain. Yes. And in fact, that's one of the things I'll talk about is I found that Liz Green's treatment of Chiron was much closer to a nuanced expression and less of what I would consider almost a toxic positivity where... Um, there's this notion in a lot of modern astrology that we all have wounds and we can all heal those wounds. Whereas traditional astrology would say, no, you're going to have to live with some things that you don't like, that not everything is healable. And um, so we'll talk about that more in the mythology of Chiron. So I'm going to go ahead to that. But yes, you kind of, you kind of have given some foreshadowing there, Paul. All right. Um, because you and I are astrologers, I thought I would share with you the chart of Chiron's discovery because I always think that's fascinating. And so, um, like I said, Chiron was discovered at three degrees Taurus on November 1st, 1977, which means that um, on June 8th of 2027, Chiron will have done one full orbit that we've been watching the, you know, this asteroid comet, right? So we are almost at our Chiron return globally since Chiron was um, discovered. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, And I'm not gonna dive further into the chart than that. Um, It's not really my point today, but I did just wanna show you that, that of course we have a chart of the discovery, the birth of Chiron in our understanding. Well, the astrologer in me, couldn't help but to start delineating <laughs> what I was looking at. And, and and I started finding it interesting that this would be a day birth and um, um, Jupiter would be the chart ruler and it's in a version next to the moon up there in the eighth house of uh, death, uh, occult, not transformation transformation uh, and also big emotions right you've got a moon and jupiter conjunction in cancer and so you know my experience of that when those two planets are together is deep feelings like deep and and you know being in the eighth house like you said potentially tough you know deep deep rolling emotions you know fears and anxieties and griefs and losses and you know um feeling everything big and the ruler of that moon in Jupiter is in actually a version to that as well. And it's together with two malefics together in the house of beliefs. 
name. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, you've Mars, got Mars, exactly, Mars, Mars and Saturn, Saturn and Leo together in the ninth yeah. house. Mm-hmm. And Leo, the, the, the rule of Leo sitting over there in the 12th. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Deep psychological stuff. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and then uh, Uranus and Mercury under the beams of the sun, mm-hmm. hidden, hint, hidden thought. And ooh, ooh, wait, wait. Oh no, ooh. Uh, in Mercury, they say Merc uh, Uranus is a higher octave of Mercury. That is common among modern astrologers, yes. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, you you said that like that. That means you don't you you don't really buy into that. I don't. Oh, um, <laughs> that hasn't been my experience of the two. All right. Um, and I, and I would say I'm generally not a big fan of the higher octave talk because I feel like it it doesn't accurately represent the modern planets as I've gotten to know them. Um, I see Mercury as, you know, being about organization and categorizing and getting information. And that's not Uranus at all, in in my view, right? Uranus right. is more about disruption and sudden insights. Like there's nothing organized and logical about Uranus. Where, where I think they do share characteristics is they can both kind of have a trickster energy. Um, so that I could see. But yeah, this is a fascinating chart for sure. But, yeah, um, yeah. I know we wasn't really, you really weren't trying to go yeah. there, but uh, but I, I do think it's really cool that we are getting to the point of it's almost the Chiron return. And as I was telling you before we started, um, Chiron is actually just about to meet the North Node right now in mm-hmm. Aries, and so in February of next of this year, forgive me, 2024 on February 19th, um, Chiron is actually going to meet the North Node, which. Um, Again, modern and traditional astrology have different views of that, but both believe it's important that it means like a, um, that when something meets the North Node, like it's expanded, it's bigger, it takes, you know, it grabs your attention. So I thought that was, that was fascinating. Um, So besides the astronomy, the actual, you know, we talked about the fact that Chiron is a hybrid. And so it totally fits this notion of a centaur and that it connects Saturn and Uranus. I also find it interesting and the way many astrologers, when there's a new body found, is they look at what's the astronomical features, you know, what's going on in history when Chiron's discovered, and then also the mythology. And so just a few things as a review for our listeners about what was going on in the late 1970s when Chiron was found. Um, It was really a height of the modern astrological movement, right? Astrology had become popular again, and it was considered to be the the me decade when the baby boomers were kind of coming in in their late teens and early 20s. And so there was this huge cultural focus on self-expression, finding personal fulfillment. is Is that when the Sun Sirens book came out? Uh, it was sometime in the 70s. It might have been a little earlier than 77. Oh, all right. all right. But yeah, it was about finding yourself. A lot of times people will call it the navel gazing era. All right. Um, there was a huge interest in Eastern philosophies and practices. Like everyone had their own guru and transcendental meditation was really popular. Extrasensory perception and channeling. In fact, the military was conducting experiments in like remote viewing. 
use of psychedelics was still really big, um, actually along with cocaine, right? Kind of went from the late 60s into the 70s. Um, the whole field of psychiatry was really booming. And part of that did impact astrology because there was these new astrological techniques called transpersonal astrology and depth astrology that really focused on like your subconscious realm and family patterns as being ways to heal. There was also the, really the very first organic food movements and movements towards like preserving the environment because this was right after we had a... Um, a real increase in oil prices under Jimmy Carter's presidency, right? And there was a time when there was like lines at the gas tanks, huge oil shortages. So there was a big effort about um, taking care of the environment and reducing our use on fossil fuels for the first time. Ongoing movements for social justice and sexual revolution. Um, but along with that, there was this neoconservative backlash where televangelism became huge like all those televangelists like jimmy swagger and oral roberts and um uh the bakers i forget their names jim jim and tammy faye baker like they were all bringing in all these millions of dollars preaching on tv and the message that they were preaching really changed in the 70s it, and it was really what we call now prosperity gospel you know, historically, the biblical view of wealth was that wealth wasn't really good. You know, like there's the there's the the verse in the Bible about it's harder for a like it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than what I'm something about a camel, uh, a camel passing through the eye of a needle. The needle. Yeah. And so in the 70s, what we saw was these um, ministers who started preaching the notion that if you are good, God rewards you and wealth is good. And that in fact, wealth is a measure that in fact, you were good and righteous person. And so there's, there began to be this association of goodness and righteousness with richness, um, which was not always true. You know what I find interesting? What? Uh, I'm not sure if you've been paying attention lately, but a lot of those uh, prosperity ministers are coming under fire right now. Well, and, and yeah, and they have been for quite a long time. Some of yeah. them wound up in prison. Yeah, yeah, but uh, uh, that I think, uh, expect, well, I'll just say this. In the black community, there's a lot famous. You got T.D. Jakes, you had uh, 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 they had uh, all these other ones. I can't, I don't you know, but matter of fact, TD Jakes is under fire right now. Um, the guy from Atlanta, mm -hmm. um, and and you talking about Tyron's about to be back to where yeah. it was founded. Yeah, and so I, I'm is all of these things that you just listed right here. In some way, are they all kind of coming back up? for discussion. Yeah. Well, and I think that's also part of some bigger astrology patterns too, right? Because it was in the 1960s before we found Chiron when we had um, a Saturn-Pluto conjunction in Virgo that really is like the longest planetary cycle that, you know, astrologers follow. And when Saturn and Pluto came together in Virgo was really like the height or the beginning of so many of these movements. And then it was like 
15, 17 years later, or maybe 12, because I think it was in 64, 65. Then we have Chiron come along the next decade when these some of these things are like at their height, right? Like when it's like the extreme, um, I think, of what began in the 1960s, along with the beginning of the backlash, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And if, so, I yeah. Look at, if I look at some of a social progress in the ongoing sexual revolution, I look at all of these people that's getting cases thrown on them for sexual inappropriateness. And also, you know, the fact that reproductive rights have kind of, have essentially been rolled back, right? Yes, Here. yes, that too. Yeah. Um, uh, you look at one of the other things you talked about, organic food. There's a mm-hmm. big thing about what we eating nowadays. Yeah. And alternative health, like things like Reiki and um, energy healing and, yes. um, you know, um, now it's like the supplement market that's gone wild, right? Like all these herbal supplements and um, being able to eat or drink your vitamins and people who are interested in prolonging life, right? By manipulating their diet and using certain Have supplements. you seen that guy that takes all those pills? Yeah. Um, he, the, he, he He's trying to reduce aging. Yeah, uh, he was a real. Uh, I think he was the guy that owned Cash App, but not a Cash App. One yeah, of- it's kind of <laughs> creepy looking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so that was going on, and then specifically in 1977, and I thought these were fascinating because I mean, I was, I guess I was like six years old, five years old, six, seven. You know, I was born in '68, so I guess I'd be nine. So um, it was really the height of the disco craze, which kind of takes that whole. Um, personal fulfillment and happiness thing to a excessive degree right so like studio 54 nightclub in new york was like the hottest club in the world and that was the year that the movies both saturday night fever and star wars were like the hits of the year and really influenced fashion and music i also thought this was fascinating that the very first retail computers Um, were made for sale in 1977 um, from both Apple, Radio Shack, and Commodore. Then we also had the Concorde supersonic airplane. So there was like this initial promise of technological progress, right? I didn't know that the personal computer really emerged in 1977, but it did. The other thing that really caught people's attention was this notion that money and fame don't save you, that you still can have problems. And, um, you know, in particular, I can remember in pop popular culture, the death of Elvis Presley, you know, he died from a drug related problem and it came to light that he had all these issues. Whereas people have thought of him as like an untouchable superstar. And he died in this very tragic way. And then there was like a plane crash with the band Leonard Skinner and their lead singer and a bunch of their, um, you know, crew, et cetera, were killed. Many others were injured. And so it was like, there was all this promise and escapism, but then this underlying reality of, but you can still die, right? Like, but you can still be unhappy. Like we have promises, but there's still pain. So I thought that, I thought those things were fascinating. Um, can, can wealth actually bring pain? That's probably a philosophical question that's more than you and I want to dive into on this, but right? It's like it it perhaps can. Like I've I, one of the things that 
I learned early in my life because I spent 10 years working in financial services with a lot of people who were very, very wealthy is they were no happier than I was. Like they were no happier than my family. And of course, even in astrology, what you find is that people who have problems still have problems when they have money. And sometimes some of their problems are exaggerated because with wealth comes all these demands and expectations and then those are unmet. Kind of like fame doesn't save people, right? It's like a magnifier for your underlying insecurities and issues. Well, the famous rapper Biggie Smalls says, <laughs> more, pro- more money, more problems. More money, more problems. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing uh, that came to mind when you said wealth and fame won't save you is that billionaire that just died in that submarine going down to see, uh, what was that, the Titanic? Yeah, yeah. Last, that money last didn't year. save him. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> he no. would. I bet you he'd give all those billions back up just to resurface. And his son, too. It was him yeah. and his son who died. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And, of course, you can look at the Kennedy family, right? Money yeah. and fame. And yet that family has been haunted by tragedy. And death. Yeah. So I'm going to shift gears now and talk about the little bit of the mythology of Chiron. We've covered the astronomy in some of the popular events. Um, And I'm not going to go into all the myths of Chiron because there's a lot of them. His life life is actually very well documented in Roman and Greek mythology. Um, But it's interesting to know that in mythology, Chiron was actually the child of Saturn, right? Who was a titan. Um, and Saturn had an affair, or rather cheated on his wife, with a sea nymph named Philera, and he was caught by his wife in the act, and so what happened is Saturn turned himself into a stallion and galloped away. And so as a result, this sea nymph had a baby who was half horse and half man, and she was horrified by this, right? And so she rejected the child, and it was taken away from her, And luckily for Chiron, he was adopted by the sun god, Apollo. And um, Apollo and his sister, who was the lunar goddess that we know as Artemis or Diana, they raised Chiron and they taught him all sorts of things, how to fight, how to hunt, how to heal. They taught him about astrology and astronomy. They taught him music. And so he had kind of this protected childhood and he was immortal because he was the son of Saturn. Um, however, after he sort of grew up and learned all these things, he um, he didn't live with um, Apollo and Diana. He chose to go to a cave in the mountains where there were other centaurs like him. And so if you travel to Greece today, apparently there's still Chiron's cave you can go visit, which is like now on my bucket list to do. Oh, wow. Wow. But he lived as an outsider. And from there, though, he was a great teacher and a great physician, as well as like a diviner and astrologer. And so all of the heroes of Greek myth, um, like Jason of Jason and the Argonauts, Hercules, Achilles, they all went to Chiron and trained with him and learned with him. And so there's a lot of artwork. And I just chose this one painting that I put on the screen that's called The Education of Achilles, where you see this youth Achilles holding a spear with Chiron holding a club and they are hunting down a tiger. But there's many, many artworks you can see where Chiron is teaching these young warriors how to fight and how to hunt. 
which is something we've actually kind of neglected in a lot of the astrological takes on Chiron. Um, but anyway, so he was renowned for his mastery as a physician, hunter, warrior, musician, astrologer, and a leader of the centaurs. And where in general, the centaurs were not well behaved. They kind of had no morals. They were like rowdy and drunken and violent. Chiron was considered to be like a virtuous leader, you know, a good and righteous character. So the story abruptly turns because somebody had opened some wine and the centaurs had all gotten drunk and they were essentially causing a violent disturbance. And Chiron and Hercules acted to sort of quell the riot. And in that, um, in that action of Chiron trying to stop the violence, Chiron himself was wounded with the poisoned arrow that Hercules had. And so his, his leg became wounded and he had this painful wound that would not heal. And he retreated to his cave in agony. He quit teaching, he quit working, and he just sort of like laid in his cave, crying and suffering and rage. Um, and so he couldn't die, but eventually um, there was a deal negotiated with Zeus or Jupiter where Chiron was allowed to give up his immortality. And so he wound up taking the place of Prometheus um, and in mythology, Prometheus was like tied to a stone and was having an eagle eat out his liver every day. Yes. So he took Prometheus's place and was killed. And so his life ended. And then Jupiter um, immortalized him again by putting him as a constellation in the sky. And so Liz Green really brought out to me several points that are often ignored in the astrological literature. Um, people often talk about how Chiron was a wounded healer who learned from his own wounds and healed others. But really his wound came after he was already a healer and he wasn't actually able to cure it. It became chronic and insufferable. So she brought out some other concepts and keywords about Chiron that I thought were really fascinating. There was, um, there was something that stood out to me in that story. Mm -hmm. He was hurt by friendly fire mm -hmm. and by trying to do good like yes. he was a he was um what do you call it uh collateral damage yes and and so when i when when you said that and i and i thought damn he was hurt by friendly fire and then i think about where a lot of our wounds come from would it actually be from friendly fire we get wounded by the people that's close to us yeah well in fact i'll share my own stories later because i right. went back and did a life review but but these are some key words okay. that i now think about when i think about chiron so i've definitely broadened my my own thoughts beyond the wounded healer okay but anything that has to do with a wound whether you are the wounded person you're the victim or you're a perpetrator or even witnessing other people's wounds um the the notions of healers and healing but also hunters and prey and weapons and hunting. Um, many, many astrologers do see Chiron as a teacher. And so there's a lot of things that come up around Chiron as a teacher, learning lessons. But yeah, some of these harder things would be chronic suffering, wounds that don't heal, incurable conditions, disability, mortality, repetitive painful experiences, including the emotional ones like shame and envy and rage insecurity, vulnerability, sacrifice. Um, there's also some connections I saw with Chiron as like the outsider or someone who's in exile or someone who's a maverick and doing things differently. 
scapegoating or being a scapegoat, as well as divination, diviners, seers, and prophets. And so, yeah, I'd encourage you to sort of consider all these kinds of concepts when you're looking at, at Chiron. And, and I'll bring that in because I also looked at how astrologers are using Chiron today. And sometimes in some really concrete fields like financial astrology, we're seeing that Chiron has meanings there, right? And so I think we can learn from those things too. All right. So when you look at a natal chart, because I was trained in traditional astrology and I got used to looking at the seven planets and then I slowly took the three modern ones back, I thought, well, how do I know whether or not I should use Chiron? Like when I look at somebody's chart for the first time or my own chart, how do I know if it's important to use Chiron or not? And Melanie Reinhardt is an astrologer who first wrote about Chiron in the late 18, 1980s and she's really been studying Chiron for all these years. Now she's pretty thoroughly a modern astrologer who primarily works from a psychological basis, but her work is very impressive about Chiron. And so she says that sometimes Chiron is a focal presence in a natal chart and kind of sometimes it's not. And so there are some clues she gives to when you open somebody's birth chart, is Chiron gonna be an important story or character in their life? One of those is, is Chiron near the angle. So if Chiron is close to the ascendant, the midheaven, the descendant, the IC. If Chiron is close to the lunar nodes, the north node, the south node, or at what's called the nodal bendings, where it's like halfway between the nodes, what we call square to the nodes. All right. If Chiron is aspected to many planets, and especially if it's like the sun, the moon, or the chart roller, or if somebody has an aspect pattern like a stellium or a bucket pattern or a T-square where Chiron is like one of those important parts of the, the aspect pattern. She also says that, um, so when Chiron is closest to the sun, he's at 14 Libra. That is the closest part to the sun that's known as the perihelion. So if somebody has Chiron like the, between, let's say, 9 and 19 Libra, then that makes it more important. Likewise, the aphelion, when Chiron is the furthest from the sun, which is close to where we are now, is five Aries. And that also is like an important turning point. And so she further talked about when Chiron it, is at uh, Aries. No, wait, let me, let me ask you. Mm -hmm. Is just that, that one degree, five and 14? Yeah, those are okay. those are the exact turning points. All right. So what if, what if somebody has something like that? Seven Aries. She suggested you use at least a five degree orb. So oh. like from zero to 10 Aries. Uh-huh. And she also said in Aries, Chiron's kind of more Uranian because it's closer to Uranus. And in Libra, it's kind of more like Saturn. And it's in it and how it manifests in life. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'll just let you know. I yeah. do have Chiron and Aries. Yeah, I, I have Chiron in Aries too, so we'll, we'll get and, and I have, and it's in opposition to Uranus. Mine too, Paul. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I'll show you my chart in a second. All right. Yeah, but I didn't, when you said that, I was like, wait, I ain't, oh, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, it, we, we heard, we've been hearing Chiron calling is how I think of it, you know, that, um, Anyway, so the other thing she said to look at were if Chiron's stationed, either retrograde or direct, within a week before you're born, you know, week or week after, 
if somebody has a stellium in Sagittarius with an aspect to Chiron, or she has some specific areas of Leo, mid Scorpio, and early Sagittarius where she said Chiron was important. But no, I, have I now point. have seen in those first few things, like the angles, part of the pattern, or in Aries, I've, I've had a lot of clients lately with Chiron and Aries. I have a question. I, yeah. I, I believe I know the answer, uh-huh. uh, but I'm just asking it because I know somebody might be uh, sitting out there thinking this question. Why? Why? What's the connection to Sagittarius? Why? Uh, well, the she. There's a lot of astrologers who relate to Chiron being related to Sagittarius. Um, there's numerous reasons. One of them is, of course, the centaur mythology being like Sagittarius, who's a horse. Yeah. There's also the fact that the area around 23 Sagittarius is what's known as the galactic center. But in Melanie's case, um, she believed that when Chiron is in Saturn's orbit, that it's stronger because it's closer to us. And that is when it is like Leo to um, to either mid-Scorpio or early Sagittarius. All right. So that was her logic, but I've heard other reasons too, right. which brings but, up something else. But, like, but the but the simple answer would mm-hmm. be Sagittarius is a centurion, and so is yeah Chiron. Yeah, that's simple, and also that it's within <laughs> Saturn's orbit, so it's closer to us. All right, all right. It's closer. Thanks. It's it's more like within our known solar system at that point in time. All right. Yeah. All right. Um. Melanie does not say Chiron rules a sign, um, but there are some astrologers who claim that Chiron is the ruler of Virgo. I sort of laughed because um, another astrologer who studied Chiron for like 40 years, Zane Stein, laughed and said he didn't think a dirty ball of ice was adequate to rule a sign, you know, that he thought Chiron was important, but he wouldn't give it rulership. Hmm. Um, So this is my chart that I promised. And for those of you that aren't seeing it, Um, What you find is that Chiron is 100% a focal planet in my chart. I have Chiron in the first degree of Aries, um, and it is in a very close square to my moon, which is at one degree Capricorn, and also opposite Uranus for me, which is at zero degrees, zero minutes Libra. It's also opposite my sun at five degrees and 45 minutes Libra. It's also um, conjunct by nine degrees to my North node in Aries. Um, So it's a focal point as part of a T-square, as well as the fact that it is near the Aphelion in Aries. um, And it's in close, tight orb to several personal planets, but particularly the sun and the moon. If you use aspects that are not traditional Ptolemaic aspects, like if you use the quincunx, then then Chiron would be a quincunx to um, my Mars, my Mercury, and my Venus. Mm. So, yeah, I was like, okay, I get why Chiron's been yelling at me, like why he said, you know, come learn about me. You know, it's, um, and I just had what I'll call my Chiron return, which I'll talk more about in a little bit. Um, a couple of years ago. So it's still kind of in the fading away part of my chart. Well, Where's your Chiron at, Paul? Or do you mind saying? Yeah, it's in uh, Aries in the uh, 11th. In the 11th? What degree yeah. of Aries? Uh, I want to say 13. 13? 
So minutes. you're really having your Chiron return now, more or yes. less. Yes. Well, mm-hmm. uh, yes. Uh, uh, I, I might, let me answer your question real quick. Uh-huh. I had a, I had a, uh, it's at 12 degrees, I believe. Yeah, 12 degrees, uh, Aries. And, uh, I have Uranus at 13 degrees. Um, Libra. Libra. So, but I did have a question for you. And, uh, well, this is just because I know someone who has this the same as you. How do you think uh, Chiron in that fourth has shown up for you? You know what? Let me dive into that when I kind of take you through some life. I, All right. I have, I have that coming. All right. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I wanted to. Yeah. All right. Because at first I was like, I don't know. But then as I looked at the patterns, it became clear to me. And so I want to kind of talk through how to how to do that for yourself. Okay. okay. So interpreting Chiron in a chart, I mean, you could start off by just doing it the way you would any other planet, right? So you can delineate by sign, by the house, and by aspects through other planets. Um, and then you might also think about what your Saturn is like and what your Uranus is like and how Chiron might connect those things. Wait, 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 wait. Let me stop you there. Are you saying that when looking at the chart, uh, when you're trying to look at Chiron, it's also important to look at your Saturn and Uranus? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because if Chiron's important for you, there may be some ways in which Chiron either brings together your own sort of Saturn meanings and issues with your Uranian meanings and issues, um, or kind of inflames the difference between those two, right? Depending on where Chiron is and how it's working. But I think as I kind of walk through, so for me, I, you know, I understood what Aries means and what the fourth house means, but I wanted to really go back in history and see what's really happened when Chiron has been an important point. And so that's kind of what I want to walk through to get you to how I came to what it means for me. All right, let me ask you this though. So huh? is, is Saturn and Uranus in some type of interplay that Chiron is trying to intermingle with? Well, theoretically, yes. All right. Right. Thinking that's kind of what Chiron I heard as a you bridge. Say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. And yeah. that some people have Chirons, which are more Saturnian. Some people might have Chirons, which are more Uranian. And for some people, Chiron might not be an important, important asteroid in their life. You know. All right. So a couple of points. Um, Many modern astrologers use what we call the 12-letter alphabet approach to interpreting Chiron. And so if you read books by Reinhardt and Stein, they say say things like, if your Chiron is in Aries or the first house, it means X, Y, Z. Or if it's in Taurus or the second house. That is not how I approach astrology. I interpret house and sign placement separately, more like traditional astrology. Um, And so personally, I feel like while there's some valuable sort of cookbook interpretations in those books, for me, I felt like I needed to explore that further, which is why I went back to look at transits to really figure out what Chiron has meant in my life. 
So what I started doing is looking at the fact it takes about 50 years for Chiron to go around to where Hold it was. Real, real quick. Mm -hmm. You just said something. Mm -hmm. uh, I want I want to why is it why is it important to look at transits? You said I went back and looked at transits. Why do you think that's important to do? I feel like a really important way of understanding how any planetary influence operates in your own life is to take a look at your actual experience of, of, of history. Like, you know, whether it's Saturn or it's Mars or it's Venus, by looking at the cycles of how that planet has been, like times when that planet was important or hitting personal points in your life or in certain cyclical points, understanding your own experience of that planet is more than just like reading a cookbook, right? Like, so that's how I like to interpret a lot of things is by, by looking at the cycles. Okay, thank you. So Chiron's cycle is a long one. You know, Saturn is almost 30 years, Chiron's 50, right? So um, it's kind of hard to look at a Chiron cycle if you're 18, right? Um, and the orbit is also highly elliptical. So I can't, like, I can pretty much tell you that everyone had their um, Saturn return at around age 30, and they would have had um, their Saturn opposition around age 14, 15, right? You can't say yeah. that with Chiron. It's going to vary widely depending on the orbit, right? It can spend two or three years in a sign, or it can spend many years in a sign. Um, but so what I did is went back and suggested looking at when did you first have your Chiron square Chiron, where Chiron in the sky was in a 90 degree aspect to your natal Chiron. And for me, that first happened in 1983, or I'm sorry, in um, 1988. And so for my opening Chiron square in 1988, it was literally 15 degrees away from the day when my son was born. So that was really interesting to me because my son's birth was a happy occasion, but I had married very early and his father and I were separated in a pretty painful way at the time Chiron was, at the time he was born. And I had a cesarean section that I didn't particularly want. And so there was a lot of um, sort of feeling alone and feeling powerless that came to me at that time. But then also the recognition that I had to take power, right? Like I now was a parent, like it was on me. So then the Chiron opposition for me took place in September 15th of 1995. What was notable about that in my life is that's when I moved to New Orleans. I moved to New Orleans in August of 1995, where my son and I left rural Oklahoma and all my friends and family and came to the big city, which at the time was the murder capital of the country for a job opportunity. And again, I had this feeling of, okay, this is on me. Like I have to make my way in the world. Are you starting to hear Aries there? Yes. Yeah. Now, what I also found was interesting because I did look at Chiron's aspects to some personal planets. And one of the things that really preceded me, my move to New Orleans that like pushed me over the edge and made me move to New Orleans was you might remember in April of 1995, there was the Oklahoma City bombing yes. when the Murrah bombing. Timothy so McVeigh. 
Yeah, yeah. So I was in Oklahoma at the time working in yeah. Tulsa in a big building downtown. My son was in a daycare across the street from me. And so as you can imagine, that Oklahoma City bombing shook me to the core. And at the time I was interviewing for job, the job in New Orleans and I wasn't sure I was going to take it because, you know, my family was convincing me not to go. And that bombing made me realize that there was no safety and security in life. And that what I had to do was follow my impulse and my dream because there's no guarantees. And when that happened, when that bombing happened, Chiron was exactly on my Jupiter. Mm. So I thought that was fascinating. And my Jupiter's in the ninth house, right? Like at a distance. In Cancer. In, in, in um, Virgo. Okay. Virgo? Mm -hmm. oh, oh, all right. Virgo. Well, I was just looking at what something was in Cancer. So I thought that was fascinating that Chiron was on my Jupiter when this real huge, sort of tragic, like where I was witnessing this mass trauma. And then it pushed me to then make the move when I had the Chiron opposition. So <laughs> at the, the next Chiron square um, was December 19th of 2001. And that was a really fascinating period in my life because I had been working in banking since 1986. Um, well, I got a college in 91. So from 91 to 2001, I was working in financial services and banking. And that year I just quit. I left financial services. I left the bank and decided to do something where I was traveling more and, um, like sort of, again, sort of pursuing dreams, like pursuing my own independence. Um, it was a sales job. I had a big territory. And then, of course, what happened that fall, again, was another mass trauma, right? September 11th of 2001, we had the um, World Trade Center, the airplane crashes, the mm. Pentagon. And at that time, I happened to pull the chart for September 11th, 2001, because this is a huge mass trauma. Chiron was exactly at 23 Sagittarius that day, which I said is the galactic center. Yes. Like when Chiron hits that point, it's world news. Now that happened to trine my Saturn and square my Jupiter and Pluto. So it was personal to me. Um, but I thought that was fascinating. So that to me was kind of like the opposition in that we had this like mass trauma that again made me think there's no safety in life. And so like you have to follow your own dreams. You have to follow your own path that when you think you're playing it safe, there's no guarantee. So for me, it became clear that my own experience of Chiron was about repetitive, painful experiences of feeling like a safety net even if it's psychological, had been jerked away from me and realizing that I had to be independent. I had to pursue my own heart. I had to do my own thing. Um, my Chiron return was, is really still kind of lingering. And so I don't know that I have great insight yet. Um, technically, the exact part of my Chiron return happened in 2018 and 2019. Um, what is notable about that is um, I left the university setting and went into a healthcare setting as a manager. Um, and I also started studying traditional astrology, right? So I started like pursuing my own path. Now, 
in March of 2019, I did not know I would decide to become an astrologer, but I did start like participating in conferences and signing up for some classes that I would start taking in 2020. So that was really interesting. And in fact, when COVID really hit home for me on March 16th, which is like the first day my hospital was really traumatized, Chiron was at five Aries and it was exactly opposite my son. And that was a major, again, mass trauma for me where I felt totally thrown for a loop and terrified and that there was no security in life. I also found some interesting trines in my own life, um, some interesting times in my own life when Chiron was at its trine to my natal Chiron. And Zane Stein did mention that as a possibility. I didn't really investigate the sextile very much. But in the opening trine, it was a very difficult time for me when I first graduated from college and the economy was terrible and I was like trying to make my own way and working multiple part-time jobs to support myself. And then the closing trine was um, in 1999 when I had a really horrible year where my house burned down and I had surgery and I had a car accident all within like three months of each other. Um, and Chiron was in my 12th house at that time. <laughs> and so talk about losses and like dark nights of the soul. I think of 1999 and 2020 as probably my worst years on this planet. <laughs> so isn't that fascinating? Yes, uh, I did. You've got to do it. You've got to do did, it for yourself. Yeah, I did have two questions listening yeah. to your story and all of that. Uh, the one of them is... Uh, every time was do you think uh, every time those things got triggered you had to move somewhere or something went on at the house um, that did happen but what I will say is in my life um, I, I've done a lot of movement and you know I'm a person with sun conjunct Uranus and mm -hmm. so changing careers changing vocations changing homes like that's been a common theme in my life uh -huh. also so you know, does Chiron contribute to it? Maybe. But what I sort of see more coming from Chiron is it's bringing together, you know, I have Uranus in the 10th house. Mm -hmm. So in the very public part. So there's like shocking events or surprising events that happen. And then I have Saturn and Aries at the bottom of my chart. That's like forcing me to take responsibility for myself, to only rely upon myself, to not believe that another person or another authority is going to take care of me yeah. and so i can see chiron as like the connector between those two things yeah that's what uh, when you said that about the oklahoma stuff it was something that was real big and devastating and then oh okay i'm gonna move mm -hmm. you know uh that that was you know uh one yeah. of the questions and the other question is could you tell the difference between the waxing square and the waning square? Not really. Or they just both was like... Yeah, they were just they were just both powerful. Now, I did look at one other thing because, of course, another really big event in my life was Hurricane Katrina. You know, um, I was in New Orleans when that happened and I had to move again, relocate again. And when Hurricane Katrina's disaster really sort of took place, so the actual date of Hurricane Katrina, Chiron was at 29 Capricorn, exactly where Pluto is sitting today, right? Um, and in fact, when COVID hit me, like personally, like at my work, Saturn was at 29 Capricorn. So it's become clear to me that that 29 Capricorn degree is pretty potent and powerful. 
So uh, are you kind of shaking in your boots until like January? <laughs> I mean, I kind of am. Um, really? I well, was, I am. I was, I was kind of joking with you, but you know. There hasn't been a huge personal tragedy, but um, I've had a lot of small things and, you know, I'm kind of just doing this like major questioning, but I still think, you know, the, the Pluto at 29 Capricorn is like a three year event, really, right? It's not like a one year event. So it isn't over yet. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, it kind of, and it passed over it already. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I left. I left my hospital job. Right, I became an astrologer. Um, I did a lot of wandering around and thinking about moving, and um, you know, so it's definitely been like a trigger of a push button for me of some of those Saturn and Uranus themes, like new world that we're in and what's going on with it. Just a quick question: Have you Mm -hmm. been thinking about going back to healthcare? What'd you say? Have you been thinking about going back to? The hospital healthcare. Um, no. Well, yes and no. I haven't. I haven't really given great consideration to going back to the hospital. Um, I am concerned about my financial status and particularly the cost of insurance. Both health insurance, my health insurance costs doubled this year, and also my home insurance just went up fifty five percent again, and it did that last year. And so I'm a little scared financially, and so it makes me wonder, like, do I need to take a full time job again? in order to, you know, not go bankrupt. Um, And I don't want to. Um, I I definitely don't want to be in management again. Um, I do teach part-time and I I love teaching Mm part-time. So that's more of a consideration for me probably than a, um, like a hospital leadership job again. Be be honest with you, I'm a a little, uh, uh, I've been wondering myself with Pluto being at 29 degrees. Is yeah. what uh, Capricorn because my I, my son is at twenty nine degrees Virgo. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? And that eclipse point, you know. So you were were you born at the eclipse at the twenty nine degrees Virgo eclipse? Or no, that would have been before you were. What year were you born? Seventy one. Okay, so right before my birth, I was born between eclipses, and my prenatal eclipse was twenty nine Virgo. It was a solar eclipse at 29 Virgo. Mm. So that may be why 29 Virgo is, or why 29 Capricorn is so potent for me. Mm. Well, I know yeah. that's a totally topic, but I do yeah, like yeah. eclipses. I think <laughs> yeah. those are important. Prenatal? Pre- mm-hmm. So that would be where the eclipse was hit before I... Yeah, before born. you were born. Would that be the South Node? No. Um, I'd have to look and see for you. Mine was, um, mine, it was a North Node eclipse. No, it was a South Node eclipse. And it was, um, it was September 22nd, 1968. Mm. All right. But yeah, so 29 Capricorn, big deal. But anyway, so I thought that was fascinating that it's like, again and again, Chiron showed up in important transits. Um, And in fact, I think. Uh, No, I have to go, go ahead. So if you're going to go back and look, I would go back and look at when Chiron has been in conjunction to like your sun, your moon, your Mercury, um, your Venus and see what happened. And then maybe look at oppositions um, and, you know, just see what your experience has been. For me, it was shocking how much it showed up. I really didn't expect it. Well, that's what I was about to ask you when you went back and looked. 
could you could you see the pain? Yeah. And did you heal from said pain? Um, I would or, honestly or, say or, no. is, or is that in a work in progress? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a work in progress, but I think, you know, I we've talked wait, about wait, this you, on the wait, last you said, episode. You that said I was no? Raised, well, you said I, no? Let, let, me, let me explain. All right. I was raised in a fundamentalist Christian church. Um, and one of the things that I sort of was taught is if you live your life right, and you please God, then like bad things don't happen to you, right? Like God protects you and et cetera, which is sort of an extension of prosperity gospel in some ways, right? It wasn't about money, but it was about righteousness being rewarded. And I think the pain I have felt is that bad things are gonna happen sometimes, no matter what you do, you can't prevent them being good or being prepared doesn't stop them. And so I've become a little bit more Buddhist in my approach to life in that suffering is simply a part of life and that, you know, we're all going to get sick and we're all going to die and there's no amount of money and there's no amount of prayer that's going to stop that because it's like um, part of being mortal, right? It's just part of the human experience. So I wouldn't say that I've healed, you know, but I can say I've developed a little bit, at least today, of acceptance and non-detachment or detachment. But, but you know, you might, you know, if my house burns down tomorrow, I may feel really differently. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Mm. Is that hard for Capricorn? Yeah, it's terrible. You know, a Capricorn with a Virgo stellium. I feel like you, sh- you know, you should always be prepared for anything and do everything you can to prevent an error. And then, and but then the whole, hey, you could be prepared for anything, but still, that don't mean bad things are going to happen to you. And that I'm, I'm listening. I'm like, wait, uh, that might not sound right for a Capricorn. What it's do you hard. mean? <laughs> I just wrote a newsletter yesterday where I looked at. Um, Major Murphy, you're familiar with Murphy's Law? Yes. Yeah, anything that can go wrong will go wrong probably at the worst possible moment. Yeah. So when I read that the other day, I thought, you know what? I bet he was a Capricorn. Yep. <laughs> he was. Don't, um, you like, don't you like how that, when those <laughs> things work out, like, hey, I bet that's, and, and it just lines up. It just. <laughs> yep. But you know what? It wasn't that he sat around and did nothing because he thought it was all useless, right? He was a guy who like worked on major aerospace engineering projects for the Air Force, right? Like, so it was his job to like do really dangerous things, you know? And so his response to that was that you have to be prepared. You have to anticipate everything that could go wrong. You have to have checklists. You know, there will always be failures, but whatever you can do to eliminate as many of those errors as possible, like that was his approach, right? Um, So it was kind of the beginning of like quality control, risk management, you know, that became very hospital in the military, but also in hospitals, you know, how do you build systems in place so that everything is double checked to prevent errors, human errors. But can someone live their life like that? No, but but Capricorns, (laughs) do we want to? Yes. Mm. No, doesn't work. So that's part of that repetitive pain, right? Like. I can't prevent it all from happening. 
Hmm. Are you? Oh, you have any more to go? Um, the other thing I just wanted to talk about briefly was the Chiron return. All right. Um, until I had my Chiron return, I never thought about it. But I do often talk to my clients about developmental periods and how adult development corresponds with like some major astrology transits. And of course, there's the Saturn return when Saturn comes around to its place in your birth chart around age 30 and 60. And then I've often had clients who were going through their midlife transits, which happens between age 38 and 43. And it's like three big transits where Pluto squares Pluto, Neptune squares Neptune, Uranus opposes Neptune. I've come to believe the Chiron return is like another one of those really big life transits. And it usually happens between the age of 49 or 51. And if you have Chiron in Aries, you're still experiencing it now. And, you know, in what I have seen, it looks like much like the Saturn return, um, but it's like a time of review and reflection and making adjustments and really thinking about, you know, who you want to be and what you've experienced and coming to some peace with it. For women, it often correlates with the time that we go through menopause, you know, where there's major physical as well as psychological changes. I don't know as much about the male experience, um, but I do think it's a critical part of our adult development where there's at least some internal shifts and maybe also some external shifts. And so I'm starting to pay more attention to it and I think it's worthwhile. Mm. Um, all right. I did. I, yeah, Wait. I'm not going to talk about secondary progressions because I think it's just too much, but I did want to sort of bri briefly dip into, and I'm going to stop sharing my slides for this. Right. Um, I thought this was fascinating how other astrologers are using Chiron besides natal astrology. Um, Liz Green's new book is actually about relationship astrology. Highly recommend it. Um, and she says that Chiron is found forming sinistry aspects of people involved in relationships of all kinds. I wait, haven't wait, wait, wait re repeat that. Chiron is what? Found forming close sinistry aspects in the charts of people in relationships of all kinds. I did recently have a couple I looked at where his moon was on her Chiron and her Chiron was on his moon. But until that, I really hadn't looked for it, but it's something I'm gonna start keeping out for. And she talks about Chiron as being like Saturn, where there's issues for transformation and suffering through relationships, right? Like you're attracted to somebody whose Chiron is sensitive to you and that you learn and grow together through experiences where Chiron is in sinistry. In financial astrology, which I don't know much about, but I kind of like to read every now and then, uh, Ray Merriman is a really famous, well-known financial astrologer. And his research and some of the graduates of his training program have found that Chiron um, can be a market indicator. So he says, in the U.S., we've actually had major recessions when, Kynart, when Chiron joins the lunar nodes, which is really interesting when you think that's coming up in February that that's been a marker of a recession. And then some of his graduates working in Spain found that Chiron stations, the retrograde and the direct station, were market reversal periods in the Spanish equity market. Hmm. Um, I talked to a couple of astrologers who use Chiron in locational astrology, where it's like they're looking at planetary lines to see where would be a good place for you to move. Um, Moses um, Sririgar talked to me and he said that 
if Chiron is a positive, like, so if you travel to your Chiron line and it winds up being positive for you, it's usually something around healing, around coaching, or some kind of specialized skill that you have to mentor or help or coach other people. Most of the time for people being near their Chiron line is a really heart rendering negative experience that's very painful. Um, so for, he definitely wouldn't recommend it. He says for most people being at a Chiron line is gut wrenching, but that for some people who work in healing and teaching and coaching and those kind of fields, it can actually be useful. Um, I looked at people who do mundane astrology, you know, which is like world events. Mm -hmm. And there's a really interesting article or two on astro.com about how Chiron works with other outer planets. Brian Clark wrote one about the Chiron Jupiter cycle, which is really fascinating. And he ties it to things like um, mass migration, you know, the suffering of peoples, you know, um, and also health and healing issues and like natural disasters and those kinds of things. Some people use it in horary, but not a lot. I couldn't really get any clear picture of it in horary astrologer. So that was kind of the extent of what I did from my literature review and then my own personal exploration. But I feel like I'm just at the beginning of really applying that and learning more about other people's direct experiences. I did have a couple of questions. Yeah, shoot. All right. Uh, what do you think Chiron's trying to heal? I'm not even sure if I think Chiron is trying to heal. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think, I mean, I have a problem with the word healing, generally. I think it's kind of overused, right? Hmm. So when people say something is healing to me, I'm like, what exactly do you mean by that, right? Um, so I think Chiron is illuminating and connecting, but I don't know that I would say healing because again, I think an important point Liz Green brought out is like, we have this notion in our culture that like, if you have the right doctor, if you have the right medicine, if you have the right procedure, if you have enough money, anything can be healed. You know, we can live forever, anything can be cured. And I think what Chiron's story really told us is that pain and suffering are an integral part of life, right? Of living. You know, at the end of his story, he suffered until he gave up his life. He wasn't healed, right? So... I feel like we've taken a look at Chiron in the past, astrologically, through an overly positive view. And we sort of ignored the other parts of the Chiron story. So I'm not sure that it is healing, but that doesn't mean it's not transformative. All right. And that would, that would actually go back and point to the that slide you had earlier with when you said Chiron actually didn't find a cure for himself. Yeah. Kill himself. He chose so, death. Yeah, so that would be I guess pointing to all we ever actually heal from that. Yeah. Do you would you recommend that someone even open the Chiron door? I would. 
having done it myself, now I gotta say there was a couple of times when I was doing the research into my own history, when like I looked at these time periods and honestly it brought up old trauma, right? Stuff that I hadn't thought about in a while and I literally like closed the computer, put my notes down, walked away and didn't want to look at it again for several days. Um, but for me, knowledge is power. And again, maybe that's the Capricorn coming out in me, right? Well, well, there's another line that says, ignorance is bliss. Right. <laughs> I'm not familiar with that one. And <laughs> <laughs> we see. We On a personal see. basis. <laughs> so for me, I'm like, let's peel that scab off and see what's underneath. But maybe not everyone wants to do that. And that's okay too, right? Uh, that will point to healing or well, working on things with, is a conscious choice. Right. See? Um, do you think we are born with this wound already or does it have to be inflicted on us? I don't know. I mean, to me, that, that, that kind of ties into the whole philosophical debate about how much free will we have and how much of our life is faded. And I don't have a definitive answer on that. I That's mean, fair enough. Yeah, it feels like we have some amount of free will. How much? I'm not sure. Hmm. Which, which would, I guess that would come back to, does Chiron have anything to do with past lives? Which, yeah. You know. Um, and I'm just not the astrologer to answer that question. All right. Well, I mean, we all have our personal yeah. opinions. Um, do you think uh, patterns can be identified by looking at Chiron? For sure. Yes, I do. I definitely feel like that's true. And, you know, having gone through the, the history of what literally happened with my experiences, there's a lot of those themes of Chiron being in Aries and in my fourth house, which had I read it in the cookbook, you know, it would have made sense to me, but I feel like I have a much more visceral understanding when I look at the real experiences. Did it have to do with, you know, being self-reliant, um, being independent and like the foundations of my life, you know, my home and my foundation and my security? Absolutely. Right. And that's where my Chiron is placed. Right. In Aries, in the fourth house. Um so yes, those experiences that I actually had do resonate to that, you know, delineation. Now I've heard some other astrologers talk about Chiron and Aries as kind of like the wounds of patriarchy, like cultural wounds. And I can't say that there's none of that also, you know, but I just don't know. But when I saw my personal experience, I could see how it was like a shaking of my foundation where I had to assert my will, my independence, do the things I wanted to do. And also it brought a sense of insecurity and vulnerability for sure. Would would the, that the foundation part be the fourth house part? Yeah. This, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think of it as like the root of your life, which in, it can be in a very real basis, your home, the land you're on, the family you came from. But also I feel like your sense of security in the world, your roots, you know? What grounds you? Um, a couple of these things you uh, addressed. You know, I, I did have. Have you ever heard Chiron being a bridge between the collective and galactic energies? You know, 
I have it, but you know what? If that's something you're interested in, you might like Barbara Hanclough's books. Yeah, she, I have her. <laughs> yeah, um, she she wrote a book on Chiron right before Melanie Reinhardt in 1988, and I bought that book. And she wrote a she's written some later books, but um, her ideology is not mine at all. And reading her just kind of like makes me roll my eyes. Um, so she's. It's- is it too airy fairy for you? It is. And she, it's, it's not only like that, but she makes a lot of really judgmental statements that she claims to be true. And it's particularly in the first book, there was like statements around um, in the 80s, of course, the AIDS epidemic was huge. And so some of the things she said about the AIDS epidemic and blah, 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 just really kind of was like irked me, you know? All right. And like, for example, in Melanie's book, Melanie and Barbara started off with, with some of the same notions, but Melanie's book has been updated to 2009. It includes her research. It includes lots of other sources. Barbara strikes me as someone who more like speaks out of her own mind and her dreams, right? Like if I believe this thing or it was channeled to me, then it must be true. And I like a little bit more experience and evidence and you know you're more earth yes way more earth than barbara (laughs) uh i did have uh thoughts of uh chiron being uh in a spiritual teacher or or points to spiritual crisis yeah i think that's i think that can absolutely be true um, and I also believe really that, you know, everything is a spirit, you know, I think everything in our lives is spiritual, right? Like, I don't feel like the body and the spirit are as separate as what we've been taught to believe with Western, Western materialism. I think all of human life is a spiritual experience. Do you think someone could recognize Chiron in them without knowing astrology? Yeah. And I do think psychological work, you know, probably would bring that out. Any kind of therapeutic work, psychological work, you know, perhaps even, you know, prayer counseling. Yeah, because I do think it has to do with some sort of a um, a repetitive life experience. Hmm. Uh, I do have down here signs of Chiron uh, wounding is... Anywhere where you could be narrow thinking, reliance on dogma or authority, self-doubt, or uh, where you may have spiritual unrest. Yeah. It could be. And Liz, Liz Green brings out several others, right? Like where you feel shame, you know, mm. where you feel ashamed or shame, where you have um, envy, like where you feel... Um, wounded, like where you feel victimized or you feel persecuted. Um, Rage is not something that I so much have an affinity with personally. Um, Again, because I'm so earth, but like anger, like an underlying anger about something. Um, So yeah, I really do strongly recommend her book for anyone who's interested in Chiron. I think it's just a great read. Even if you don't go into the back of the book, which is more like relationship studies, um, the first section of the book is just a fascinating look at Chiron and the mythology and her exploration of its meaning. Uh, one last, uh, another question is, uh, what do you think aspects to your Chiron could tell you? 
Yeah. Like the planets that aspect Chiron. Well, you know, the more aspects a planet has to other planets in your chart, to me, it's just an indication of importance, right? It's more active in your chart because it's in relationship with other planets. Um, I'm curious. I have not seen work about an unaspected Chiron, but there are other people who say unaspected planets are also really important. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be interesting to look at if you were, you know, wanting to study. Um, but so do you think, the more do you aspects think... Chiron has to other planets in your chart, I think mm -hmm. the bigger a role Chiron's going to play in your life. Do you think that that planet that aspects Chiron points to where that wounding could come from? Yeah, or also how it, um, or how you deal with it. Mm. Oh, okay. I think it could be both of those things because I think it's a back and forth relationship. Oh. Uh, uh, other than that, I know I have people, a lot of people who are trying to learn astrology. And, they, you know, we, we went over some Chiron basics. So I was just going to throw out uh, uh, Chiron through the elements. Um, Chiron in the fire sign uh, it's something about healing of inspiration enthusiasm, fun or impulsivity right, kind of a life force I would say don't you think of Aries as sort of you know the fire signs, Aries, Sagittarius as being like your life force your vitality, your um, yeah yeah, inspiration also makes sense. I think also, you know, in some ways, self-direction. I think of all the fire signs as being interdirected. You know, they're acting out in the world based on something that's coming from inside. Um, Chiron and Earth, healing of the practical and useful, dependent. And, uh, and also maybe the physical body. I would really explore, like, I think of, what, you know. What, for Earth? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was that was that was the last one. Physical Yeah, plane. the physical body, um, food, nutrition. Like I'm really curious if I were gonna do research, I'd be really curious if there's any um stuff showing that like people who have, you know, chronic debilitating conditions might have, you know, Chiron and Earth signs or something, because um I think so much of the earth as being the body, but also the environment, like people who are strongly environmentally aware or have wounds that come from the physical environment. Mm -hmm. um, Chiron through air, mm -hmm. healing of mental thinking, communication, and healing of truth. Yeah. I like that. Healing yeah. And maybe even to some extent relationships, because I think both air and water as sort of connective with right. air being how we communicate and exchange ideas with water being more emotional. And since you brought up water, that's the last one. Chiron uh, mm -hmm. through water, healing of the emotional body, mm -hmm. suffering, suffering, and intuition. Mm -hmm. And maybe also literal, like having to do with parent-children relationships. All right. Because I think of that as being very watery. <laughs> and just a real quick... Uh, Chiron through the signs. Uh, uh, shout out to Lisa Tahiri. Yes, Tahir. Tahir. Uh, I, I just grabbed this for her because she has some quick ones. 
Did you know she lives in New- she lives here? Yes. Here? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. She reached out to me. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I, I just looked up and I was I, I would have the book over here and all that, and I looked mm-hmm. her up and I was surprised. I was like, oh wait, she's right here. Yes, um, she is. I look now, forward to meeting her. The name of her book, everybody, is the Chiron Effect. Um, healing our core wounds through astrology, empathy, and self-forgiveness. So shout out to Lisa. Yeah. Um, uh, Aries, uh, you're looking at value and worth. Chiron and Taurus, neglect. Uh, Chiron and Gemini, attunement. Chiron and Cancer, abandonment. Chiron Which again and- is very much that parent-child thing, right? Yes. Abandonment, yeah. Uh, Chiron and Leo, creativity. Chiron and Virgo, health and routines. Chiron and Libra, personal independence. Chiron and Scorpio, personal power. Sagittarius, truth or illusions. Uh, Chiron and Capricorn, responsibility. Chiron and Aquarius, connection to community. And Chiron and Pisces, self-care. And I added one, boundaries. Or lack thereof. Yeah, Lisa's written a really nice book if you're interested in exploring like the psychology of Chiron in your life. Yeah. Um, the last thing I have, well, I do have uh last two statements I have about Chiron is dealing with Chiron is actually equivalent to a snake shedding skin. Hmm. I mean, that, that makes some sense to me along the way that I also see. Um, really, it's not an asteroid, I don't think, but the, the constellation of Asclepios, you know, like healing. It's, it is a healing thing, um, but it's like sometimes you have to make it worse before you can make it better, you know? Yeah, and and hey, a snake is uncomfortable in that mm-hmm. skin and has to scrape and all that to start to get the peeling process because it's yeah. outgrown yeah. that that situation. Hey, here's the question: How many snakes people get caught and can't get that skin off of them? Yeah, no, I like that. It's a good allegory. Mm-hmm. And the last thing uh, I have about Chiron. Is Chiron is equivalent to the story of Jesus. We all have a a cross to carry. That's fascinating. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, But certainly there are some, there's some, not a lot. I mean, you think about their birth stories and in some ways they're the same, right? Because you have an immortal and a mortal. Right, but Jesus' parents, as far as we know, didn't reject him. You know. Yeah, well, I, I just. The, but they both the, were great teachers, healers, seers well, of the future. Well, what I meant by that is, hey, Jesus was born, 
Mm-hmm. He came down here to go through some stuff, and then he died. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty much what we doing. Hey, we was as souls were born. We got to go through some stuff, which would be the cross we have to carry. That would yeah. be that would be whatever. Insert your trauma is yeah. your cross. Insert your trauma here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whatever yeah. it is. Hey, if you getting hit in the head with a pillow of flower, uh, feathers, it's a tra- traumatic experience to you. Who am I to tell you that wasn't traumatic? But you still got to carry that cross of, of getting yeah. hit with them pillows. No, that's a really good point. And I you can know. see, I can see multiple, you know, parallels even between the storylines of their lives in many ways. Hey, even Jesus, you know, uh, say, hey, I don't want to do this. Can you make yeah, this take pass? this burden. Yeah, yeah take, can you take this? Me. Nah, bro, you got to go through it. Yeah. Hey, this is the things that happen to us in our life. We have to go through. And and me being an astrologer, and the more and more I learn and see timing and all that stuff, I'm like, wait, some of this stuff was built in the cake already. Because how do I know this person from, I don't know you from a piece of sand. And I, you tell me your date, and I'm looking at this and something tell, telling me, hey, man, something went down at 25 years old, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it does make one question. Hey. The nature so, of reality and how much free choice we have. Hey, there it is. Uh, any last words you want to leave with the people when it comes to Chiron? started off on the journey not knowing whether I would find anything useful or meaningful at all as I started reading about the Chiron literature. And what I was surprised about was Chiron's relevance in my own life and the story it told me. And so, you know, if it's something that you feel called to, I would say explore it on your own. And I also just think it's a really great expression of like sometimes you just got to listen to those little inner calls that say hey point in this direction read this book um you know so i hope it sparks some curiosity that would yeah. be my biggest wish but give your disclaimer though my disclaimer as far as hey if you do go into this this realm what should someone expect <laughs> right right um well you never know what you're gonna find But I I feel like if it's calling to you and you feel curious about it, it's probably for a reason. Well, is Denise saying, hey, if if you go into that Chiron door, are they going to find a party and with balloons? And No, it will probably not be. But (laughs) but what I do think you may find is some unique skills that you have, you know, because oftentimes it is true that, um, for example, for, for part of my, we talked about Chiron and Aries as being worth. And I didn't see that in my day-to-day experiences, but when I think about it, I kind of struggled with worth and the question of worth because I felt like there are people in this world who like, you know, they're in junior high and they're in high school and they're in college and they always know what they want to be when they grow up, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is wrong with me that every three years I change my mind, right? Like that I, you know, I have a job or I buy a place and then I move and blah, blah, blah. And I hadn't yet come to appreciate that Uranian aspect of myself that one of my greatest gifts is the ability to be flexible and adapt and to change and to learn and to grow. Um, and so maybe for me, that is part of where Chiron helped me see that was a skill that I had that I wasn't valuing. It could be worse. 
Yeah. You could be stuck in Oklahoma still. I mean, I could be, but on the other <laughs> hand, there are people for whom that is what they want for their life and they're yeah. extremely happy doing it. Yeah. And I always sort of felt like there was something weird about me because that is not what I wanted, right? Mm -hmm. um, because my family's story is different. Mm. Yeah, so. All right. So maybe it reveals, you know, something about you that is, you know, where you think your flaw is actually a strength. All right. I guess I'm just saying that, Denise, because I don't want people to be listening to us to talk about Chiron and and we just having a conversation about it. But then they dig into Chiron and it's like, whoa, why did they tell me to open this Pandora, Pandora's <laughs> box? <laughs> You're right. So maybe maybe have a therapist on call. You know, hey, I'm just, you know, I was just saying, hey, y'all be forewarned. Yeah. Uh, this is not a party. Chiron no, it's is not, not a, a party. <laughs> Perhaps a trigger warning for Chiron. There you go. There you yeah. go. How can the people get in touch with you? What do you? How, uh, what do you want to know? Yeah, I have a website. Um, Astrology with Denise. Um, it's Denise D E N I S E, and I'm sure you'll put that in your, you know, your show notes or your links. And so I also have social media accounts, but really the best way is just go to my website and sign up for the newsletter, and then you'll get, you know. Um, all the links to social media there on my website. And if someone wants a reading with you, they could sign up there as well? Absolutely. You can schedule a session. I do a lot of them on Zoom, like we're talking today by video. Right. But um, if you're in the New Orleans area and you want to meet in person, I can also do that. Uh, is What's your uh, name on social media? Uh, Instagram and Twitter or X is Legendary Denise. All right. At Legendary Denise. You guys, uh, make sure y'all follow her, uh, like her. Thank you, stuff Paul. Uh, and with that being said, I want to thank everyone for joining me for episode 57, Chiron, the Wounded Healer. I want to thank Denise again for coming again and blessing us with her knowledge. Uh, please come to the website, become a member so you can get updates every time I do a little post or a new blog. And by the way, I know some of y'all are sitting out there just waiting on the videos because y'all don't like to read. Well, newsflash, I don't do a video for every blog. So uh, there, there is information that you guys are missing. Also, there are guests uh, leaving, uh, also writing blogs. There's no videos for them. I also added a forum section. Please come by, join the discussion. Even start a discussion. I ask a question. Mr. Mentor Reset just dropped a few thoughts in the forum section when it comes to appreciation. Make sure you guys check that out. I would like to thank all of y'all for your support in 2023. Let's continue this in 2024. Uh, shout out to all the contributors to IamAstrologyReadings.com. Uh, again, you know how I, I, I thank all of y'all. Please follow, share, like, subscribe to the show. Make sure you leave a comment on said videos on social media. I will get back with you and, and reply. And you know how I end this all the time. Know thyself and balance your energy. 
I started off with questions, and then it's number two. Things on my mind, why this, why that, what should we do? The question led to searches, he's diving in the seeking. Bro, Foster gets some leaking, these niggas get to tweaking. These don't be get to preaching, you don't be telling me that my fate is in the stars, you read my energy. You got the recipe to get the ecstasy. I'm shifting gears on the thing that you won't believe. Now people don't deceive, they saw some Christmas Eve. It's from the start, that's why you trap, you stuck, you cannot leave. You best be on your knees, confess your sins of Don't have no question, have the face you trust, you told the truth. You think you can't be slanted? You think it's just be blinded. It's warfare, the bombs explode, collateral damage. I managed to maintain to explain. We hit it, evolve, but every damn thing changed. I am astrology reading, man. I have a question. Two, one, two. Whatever should we do? What? You diving in the seeking. Flash. These niggas just a tweaking. Tweaking. You don't be telling me. Who are you, man? You read my energy? You get the ecstasy? On the thing that you won't believe. One, two, three. You stuck, you can't go nowhere, man. Confess your sins on both on your knees. You trust you told the truth. You think? Slanted. Planet. Collateral damage. I manage. We hit it, evolve, but then the damn thing changed. I am astrology reading, man.